as we get uh, prepared uh, for the message today. Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzhak, Elohei Yaakov. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. Lord, we thank you today. Lord, what a great day. Lord, the day that you have made. Lord, we rejoice and are glad in it. Abba, we thank you for the Sabbath. What a blessing it is to us to set aside a day to rest in you. And Abba, I pray that as we gather today, and Lord, as we prepare to enter into Shavuot tonight and have a special lunch together and fellowship, Abba, that your Ruach would be with us in a profound and special way. Lord, that you would change our lives. Lord, that you would make each of us more like you. Abba, that we would bear fruit consistent with your kingdom and with your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, I just want to let you know up front that I got permission from Adeline at the board meeting this week. She said, Rabbi, there's no limits on your message this week because after all, we're here. We're going to be here till the next service at 530. So, Rabbi, you just have your way. So, guys, put on your seatbelt. <laughs> I promise I'm going to get you some food, but just put on your seatbelt. I'll only have about... We don't want to tell you how much. But I just want to let you know, I got permission. Okay, so if you want to blame anyone, blame Adeline. If the, if the rabbi goes a little long today, it's her fault. Just teasing. I'll be reasonable. The title of today's message, In Preparation for Shavuot, um, is, is entitled, The Importance of the Ruach. And I named it that way because you don't hear much of the Ruach HaKodesh in congregational circles. His role has been uh, diminished a tad because he's not mentioned often. And I want to say this, that Yeshua said this, the words of the Messiah, it is better that I go so I could send you the Ruach HaKodesh. You see, the Ruach HaKodesh is the agent of God That is how we connect with God. That is how we move in the spirit of God, bear the fruit of God. It's by the Ruach HaKodesh. And Yeshua said, you know, they wanted him to stay, and he's saying, no, 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 let me go, because when I send the comforting counselor to you, he's going to guide you and lead you into truth, and he's going to make known the things that I have said to you. And so it's the Ruach HaKodesh and his importance and his role in our life that we're going to talk about today as we prepare for Shavuot. In Vayikra, chapter 23, Leviticus, verses 15 through 22, it gives us the instructions concerning the feast of Shavuot. The passage in Vayikra calls this holiday first fruits because we bring our first fruits as an offering to the Lord. And we're going to have an opportunity in our service later this evening to bring a wave offering before the Lord. And we use that special offering to do special outreaches. Um, like, to, like when we have a booth, we're going to have a booth in July at the fair at Bald Hill, and that costs money. And so we use this money uh, for outreach efforts. It says to, to bring an offering. It's also known in modern day times by the name Shavuot. This is the Hebrew word meaning weeks. 
Shavuot falls seven weeks after the second day of Pesach, Passover. This makes Shavuot to be 50 days from the beginning of Passover. Um, This is where the Greek name Pentecost comes from. So when you hear Gentiles say they celebrate Pentecost, they make it sound like it's a holiday that has nothing to do with Judaism. Because, you know, but the truth is, what they're saying is they celebrate Shavuot. Now, they don't usually celebrate it at the right time, but um, they celebrate Shavuot nonetheless. It's a Jewish holiday. Traditionally, this holiday celebrates three things. The harvest of wheat in Israel. So it is a harvest festival. It celebrates the ripening of the first fruit in Israel. So it's a festival about fruit. And the giving of the Torah at Sinai, the word of God. We could understand that all of those things are important and we can see in it a prophetic picture of God and what the Messiah would do, right? That God would bring, and it is a coincidence? No. That on Shavuot 2,000 years ago began the great harvest of souls, harvest festival. It is also no coincidence that in order to bear fruit from God, the fruit of the Ruach, we need to be connected to him and that outpouring. And thirdly, that the word of God, right, would become alive to believers also happens through the Ruach HaKodesh. You ever try reading the word before you were a believer? I did, and it just like was a disconnect. But after I became a believer, right, the Ruach HaKodesh illuminates and makes alive the word of God. And I'll add a fourth thing, that it is a time of the giving of the Ruach HaKodesh as we see in Acts chapter 2. We know that the pilgrimage feast of Shavuot was understood by the Jewish sages as the next stage in the journey of the ancient Israelites. They had been saved from slavery at Passover. They had been preserved in their desert wanderings at Sukkot. Now the people of Israel came to Sinai, accompanied by peals of thunder and bursts of lightning. Get that picture for a second. And you could even think of Acts chapter 2 when you hear that. Peals of thunder and bolts of lightning. God's awesome presence was made known as he revealed his will to the people he loved. God's revelation in Torah was given to his people. Shavuot is the time in which God gave us our Torah, Zaman Natan Toratenu. So Shavuot was known by the time of Yeshua to be a commemoration of the giving of Torah. Rabbi Yochanan said, what is meant by the verse? The Lord gives the word. They that publish the tidings are a great host, from Tehillim 68. Every single word that went forth from the omnipresent was split up into 70 languages. The school of Ishmael taught, and like a hammer that breaks the rocks in sparks, so every single word that went forth from the Holy One, blessed be he, split up into 70 languages. 
And so we see the connection of languages and the word and the ruach on Shavuot from a Jewish perspective. The rabbis believed that this represented all the languages of the earth. Again, if you hearken quickly back to Acts chapter 2, you see that connection being made. So in Acts, we have those gathered. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Consistent with what the rabbis knew about Shavuot and the giving of Torah at Sinai, and God did it before, and lo and behold, God, you know, that Sinai event was a one-time event until Acts chapter 2, right? Until Mashiach came and then ascended. To be clear, this is and was a Jewish holiday, right? That the followers of Yeshua were celebrating. They understood that it representing the, represented the giving of the Torah And as was their practice, they as Jewish men were observing it as such. Philo, who is a Jewish philosopher, um, describes God's words at Sinai like this. Then from the midst of the fire that streamed from heaven, there sounded forth to their utter amazement a voice. For the flame... Think of Acts 2. For the flame became articulate speech in the language familiar to the audience. And so clearly and distinctly were the words formed by it that they seemed to see them rather than hear them. He's talking about Sinai. And yet we see that same scene given to us in Acts chapter 2. So... At Shavuot time, in Acts chapter 2, as the tongues of fire were seen and as these Jewish men were infilled with divine empowerment for the express purpose of advancing the Malchut Elohim, which is the kingdom of God, through the declaration of the Besorah. Just like we told you we're doing, right, on, on Thursday nights and on our outreaches, we're declaring the Besorah. And you know that it's God that people who are on their way to dinner <laughs> um, are arrested by this. You can see they're interested. They're shooing their spouses away and saying, oh, I want to hear this. Um, that's the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. An empowerment of the Ruach to declare the word of God to all nations of the earth. So we have the word of God empowered by the Spirit. So we realize that the first century Jewish and Gentile believers were ruach-filled. An event that first took place on the holiday of Shavuot, this was to be the pattern in order to advance the kingdom of God on earth. So with this background in mind, I want to talk about the importance of the ruach in our lives as believers. Someone once said, that all word and no spirit, and you will dry up. All spirit and no word, and you will blow up. But when you combine the ruach and the word, you grow up into spiritual maturity. 
And so we need a combination of both. If we don't have the word, we have nothing to say. And if we're all spirit, trust me, people who are just floating around in the spirit are scary. You need a combination of both, the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and that is a powerful combination to speak to a lost and dying world. So today I'm going to give you four reasons why the Ruach HaKodesh is important to you and to me as believers. First, the Ruach is important to us so that we can live our lives free from condemnation. You hear that? Free from condemnation. Isn't it, do you ever wonder that no one ever feels condemnation before they become a believer? Right? You're off doing your own thing. You could be blatantly sinning or you could be, you know, you know doing the most vile of things. Never even an iota of condemnation. You're just humming along, doing your thing. You see, we're not condemned in our conscience because we're not aware or simply do not care about God and his instructions. So no matter how we live, it doesn't bring condemnation. However, after we come to faith in Messiah and we become aware of God's instructions, we are now open to condemnation because of our sensitivity to God. So... If we look at Romans, we're going to start at the last verse in chapter 7 and go through a little bit of chapter 8. And starting at verse 25b in Romans, by the way, when you say Romans, people say, well, Romans, that doesn't sound like a Jewish book. Friends, that's not what it really means. It was written to the Messianic Jewish community in Rome. Rome was one of the larger Jewish hubs of the ancient world with over 10 synagogues residing in Rome. So, of course, it was natural to have a Messianic Jewish remnant of believers, Jewish believers in Messiah in Rome. So the letter was written to the Messianic Jewish community in Rome. He says this, To sum up with my mind, I am a slave of God's Torah. But with my old nature, I am a slave of sin's Torah. Therefore, there is no longer any condemnation awaiting those who are in union with the Messiah Yeshua. Why? Because the Torah of the Spirit, highlight that. Because the Torah of the Spirit, which produces this life in union with the Messiah Yeshua, has set me free from the Torah of sin and death. Those are two interesting phrases, aren't they? The Torah of sin and death and the Torah of the Spirit. You see, once we become born from above, our inner man becomes sensitive to God's instructions. The enemy of our souls, combined with our flesh, our sinful nature will spring to life and try to get us to buy into a religious mindset. Hear me. Because some of you have this religious mindset and that's why even though you're born anew and have a relationship with God, you're often condemned and feel condemnation and guilt. And I, I trust that if you put this into practice, you will be freed by that. 
This mindset is the Torah of sin and death that brings condemnation. If we try to measure up to the Torah of God in a religious way, based on legalistic righteousness, since we obviously fall short, we will then feel condemned for not living up to God's standard. Did anyone ever feel that way? That is not, that's the Torah of sin and death. Okay, now it has nothing to do with God's Torah. What it is, it's legalistic righteousness making you feel horrible because you don't measure up. But here is a newsflash. No one but no one measures up to God's Torah. God's Torah is holy, righteous, good and perfect because it is a reflection of God in all his perfection. So yes, we fall short. Absolutely. And if we, in a legalistic way, try to measure up to the Torah, right, based on our own righteousness, we're going to walk around this world as a believer who should be filled with joy and life and peace, feeling kind of yucky. We're going to feel condemned and beat up and like we never measure up. And oh, gee, it blew it again. And oh, my goodness gracious, God must hate me. That's not it at all, friends. You see, we have the Torah of the Spirit and the Torah of sin mentioned. Stern puts it this way. What are these two? The Torah of the Spirit and the Torah of sin and death. Here is the wrong answer. Yeshua gave a good Torah of the Spirit which produces life. In contrast with the bad Mosaic law, That produces sin and death. This is the wrong way way to look at it. But this interpretation not only contradicts Shaul's arguments in chapter 3 and 7, but is implicitly anti-Semitic as well. So when we, when, when, I hate to say, when commentators say that the Torah is like sin and evil and bad, They're missing the mark by a million miles because that's not what this passage is saying. The right answer to the phrase is that the Torah of the Spirit is the Mosaic law properly apprehended by the power of the Holy Spirit in believers. Do you hear that? Properly apprehended. The second Torah is written in lowercase and put in quotation marks because it's it's sin's Torah. In other words, not a God-given Torah at all. Matter of fact, an anti-Torah. More specifically, it is the Mosaic law improperly understood and perverted by our old sinful nature into a legalistic system of earning God's approval by our own works. Friends, if you think that we could earn God's approval by our goodness... You're missing the mark. That is the whole reason that Mashiach needed to come. Because we do not measure up. And Israel, if anyone had the, ancient Israel had the best shot out of anyone to live up to legalistic righteousness. But they couldn't. And so God sent the Messiah for that express purpose. So the Ruach is important to every believer in order to properly understand the Torah in light of Messiah. This understanding of the Ruach's role allows us to lean on the Ruach's power 
in order to live out God's instructions that we will sometimes fall short, right? Because of our imperfections. Hey, how many of us would say we're well-meaning? You want to do the right thing, right? You want to live for God. You want to make God happy and, and please Him in every way. But you fall short sometimes. That's why we need Yeshua. Because we cannot live up to every single jot and tittle of the Torah perfectly. We're doing our best, but there is still a shortfall. It's like, yeah, we could cover 80% of the bill, but we're 20% short, God. And God said, guess what? I'll cover it for you. And he sent Messiah to do that, to live out the Torah perfectly. That if we put our trust in him, we're covered Free from condemnation and guilt. Friends, I don't want you walking around under the weight of sin, the Torah of sin and death, because you think you don't measure up. Friends, every person in this room that has put their trust in the Messiah of Israel, Yeshua, measures up. Not based on our legalistic righteousness, based on what he did for us. And it says this, In Romans 3, right? Chapter 8, verse 3, it says, For what the Torah could not do by itself because it lacked the power to make the old nature cooperate. God did. So what the Torah couldn't do, God did by sending his own son as a human being with a nature like our own, sinful one, but without sin. God did this in order... To deal with sin. And in so doing, he executed the punishment against sin in human nature. So that the just requirement of the Torah might be fulfilled in us. Who do not run our lives according to what our old nature wants. But according to what the spirit wants. So Stern says to that. For what the Torah taken here to mean merely a collection of words, could not do by itself because it lacked the the power to make the old nature or the flesh cooperate. God did. God did it for us. Isn't that awesome? God did it for us. All power resides in God. And he did what his own teachings, instructions, and commands could not of themselves do by sending his own son as a human being with a nature just like our own sinful one, literally God sending his own son in likeness of, of sin or the flesh of sin. Although Yeshua was a human being and had a truly human nature, his flesh, or na- his flesh nature was not like that of other humans because it was not sinful, because he didn't sin. He wasn't tainted from birth. And he did not sin. He lived a life perfectly. Do you see why you need him and the spirit of God? To show us that we don't have to rely on our works. He encountered temptations just like those we face, but he conquered them without sinning by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in order for us to live in this reality and truly have victory and not struggle with condemnation, we are in great need of the Ruach and what he provides for us as believers. 
We need the Torah of the Spirit, which is not legalistic righteousness, but it's righteousness based on grace. Now, what does that do? You would say, does that make us live a slappy, sloppy life? No, on the contrary. It makes us eager to please God. And like I said, when we fall short, God has us covered because his son lived a blameless life. And we're found not in our own righteousness, right? But in the righteousness of Yeshua, who is perfect. So I am encouraging you. you the way we get that revelation in our kishkas is by the Ruach, right? The law of the Ruach and our relationship to the Ruach. And when you are walking with the Ruach, condemnation doesn't feel good, agreed? You ever get beat up by condemnation? That will drive you, okay, right out of your wit's end. It'll discourage you, depress you. And there are tons of believers, P.S., walking around depressed and discouraged because condemnation is beating the tar, telling them, oh, man, the way you treated your husband. Oh, my goodness. You are not a believer. You're the worst of the worst. And you, you can't go into that sanctuary and lift your hands before God and say prayers. Oh, my gosh, you are the vilest of creatures. You ever feel like that? Here we are washed by the blood of the Lamb of God, right? Set free by his grace, yet we feel dirty. Why? Because we blew it. But that's the, the exact reason he came. Because he knew we would blew it, blow it eventually. But we need the Ruach to help us. Secondly, we understand the importance of the Ruach that he allows us to experience God's life and shalom. I can't tell you how many believers live a subpar believing life. There's no life of God there. There's no peace there. They're always under the proverbial cloud. No Linus? Spiritual Linus, Linuses. They're walking around, they're always shuffling it. That little cloud hangs over their head no matter where they go. And they're always discouraged, and they're always beat up, and they're not experiencing the life of God. I mean, that, when I say it, I get chills. The life of God. That's the very life when if you have a flower bed at your house... And yes, we do have a couple of working flower beds at my house that the flowers actually come up in, you know, peonies, right? And when they open up, right, bam. We have a white one and a pink one, two bushes, and they blow up, right? And these big, that's the life of God. Big, beautiful, bright, vibrant, right? Full. That's what God came to give us through the Ruach, a life, the life of God in his peace. For those who identify, here's Romans 8, verse 6. For those who identify with their old nature, set their minds, highlight that. Set their minds on the things of the old nature. But those who identify with the Ruach, set their minds on the things of the Ruach. So highlight those two things. Set their minds on the things of the old nature and set their minds on the things of the Spirit. 
Having one's mind controlled by the old nature is death. But having one's mind controlled by the spirit is life and shalom. You see that? Why do we as believers so desperately need the Ruach? Because a a mind controlled by the Ruach is life and peace. And if I could tell you, there ain't a whole bunch of believers where I see life and peace. And that should be our norm. That should be the standard, right? So the word says... For the mind controlled by the old nature is hostile to God because it does not submit itself to God's Torah. Indeed, it cannot. Thus, those who identify with their old nature cannot please God. So who here doesn't want to live a life filled with the life of God and a life filled with peace? Anyone? What's the matter? No hands? You mean there's absolutely no one here who doesn't want the life of God? Right? Of course we do. We want God's life. We want his peace. We want want his joy. That's a no-brainer. In order for us to do that, we learn several things from these verses. First, that there are two kinds of people Rav Shaul is describing. Correct? The first kind set their minds on the things of the old nature or the flesh. These are things that our old nature desires that are contrary, hear me, to the instructions of God. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19 tells us exactly what they are. Now hear this. Listen to me. It is perfectly evident what the old nature does. It expresses itself in sexual immorality impurity, indecency, involvement with the occult and with drugs, infuting, fighting, becoming jealous and getting angry in selfish ambition, factionalism, intrigue and envy, in drunkenness, orgies and things like these. So I'm not going to highlight the big things because we probably all stay away from them, hopefully. But even things like feuding, that's the flesh. Fighting, that's the flesh. Jealousy, that's the flesh. Anger, unless it's righteous indignation, is the flesh. Selfishness is the flesh. Envy, Right? Divisiveness is the flesh. So the first mindset set their minds on those things. And friends, you, you, those things you can't hide, right? When they pop up. They're evident to all. But here's the good news. There is a second... Wow, that thing just fell out. There's a second kind of people mentioned here by Shaul. Listen to me. And these are people that set their minds on the things of the Ruach. These are the things that the Ruach desires to fill our minds and hearts with. And this is also found in Galatians 
chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, it says, listen, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Anyone in this room like to be loved? Joy. Anyone like joy? Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Humility. Self-control. Nothing in the Torah stands against such things. If you hear nothing from today, please hear this. With all my heart, with all my soul, I pray that you hear this. We cannot lose sight of one of the greatest attributes we have as human beings, and that is the ability to choose. Do you hear me? The ability to choose. In both of those instances, and in both of those kinds of people are people who choose to set their minds upon. Right? Those who set their minds upon. Choose to think upon. We get to choose what we set our minds on. People can try to get us to think about certain things. Even Satan can try to influence our thinking. But ultimately, you and I have the power to choose. Right? Not unlike those people in the mall. We've been headed to the mall because Josiah works up by the mall. So you go into the mall and you got that guy selling his solar energy panels. And he makes a compelling argument, although I have my reservations for some reasons about your roof and what happens when you've got to change the signals and all that. But he's trying to get us to go solar. But here's the thing. He can't make me do it, right? Ultimately, I get to choose. It's like those people, they want you to do your face with the string or whatever they got selling in the mall. They want to buy you, sell you a new iPhone or whatever. Okay, they're out there putting this in your hearing, but ultimately you choose. We have the power to choose. And when it comes to either the flesh or the ruach, we can choose the ruach. When we choose, when we do choose to set our minds on the Ruach, it brings the life of God and his peace. Often people experience this at Shabbat services. Do you want to know why? Because we help you and to get you to fix your thoughts on spiritual things. We're singing spiritual songs. We're talking about spiritual values. And guess what? It puts your mind, you start thinking about, your mind is set on the spirit. And guess what? That's why you feel good after service, because you have spent an hour or two setting your mind on the things of the spirit, which is life and shalom. Well, this is what all you have to do is continue to set your mind on the things of the spirit. Okay? Don't allow thoughts to resonate between your ears that are from Gehenom. However, often people struggle in life because they allow their thoughts to be infiltrated and dominated by the old nature. The good news is it does not have to be the case. 
And it will improve the second you choose to set your mind on the Ruach. It's that simple. I tell people this. If you, if you know me, you know that I am into fitness. And that's a big thing, right? Because people always want to get in shape because, let's face it, we eat a raunchy diet here in the United States of America. And this is what I tell people. Because there's always a correlation between the natural and the spiritual, always. Because God made both. The second you choose to eat clean and exercise, you feel better. You feel better after the first workout, after the first meal. Period. And if you continue to do that, you feel better and better and better and better and better and better. That's just the truth. The same is true in the spirit. You feel better thinking on the good things the second you choose to do it. And if you keep doing it, you'll feel better and better and better and better and better and better and better. So you're going to say to me, the rabbi, if it's that easy, if people feel so good, why, why do they quit? Why do they go back to the old way of thinking? The same reason they go to the, back to the old way of eating. They're tempted. They're infiltrated. You're watching your favorite show, right? Home shopping. <laughs> You're watching your favorite show, and they're giving you the commercials about all these nasty foods that you don't need in your body, right? But they look so delicious. And you listen, if we're honest, they even smell delicious. Whatever they do to them, they make it smell good. But beware, they're not delicious to your body. <laughs> so, but they get us and they wear us down because they're always barking at us, clawing for our attention. The same thing is true in the spirit. You leave here feeling good, feeling strong, feeling encouraged, and then you get into the world. And there's someone or something or influences trying to infiltrate and dominate your thinking. And unless you continue to resist and continue to think on, set your mind on spirit things, we run the risk of caving in. So let me read this verse like this. For if you, you, me, choose to live according to your old nature, you will certainly die. Yuck. But if by the Spirit you choose to keep putting to death the practices of the body or the old nature, you will live. Choice is king. Choice is king in the kingdom of God. It always has been. Yehoshua, Joshua said, God gives you life and death. Choose life. God gave man a free will to choose. And he's telling you today, choose to set your mind on the things of the Ruach. So the Ruach is important to the believer because he allows us to live free from condemnation as well as the ability to live in the life of God with the peace of God. For the third reason why the Ruach is so important in the life of believers is to provide prayer and guidance for our lives. 
The Ruach is vital in our efforts to pray effectively, as well as giving us guidance and wisdom to live our lives. Look what it says, Romans 8 again, down to verse 26. It says, similarly, the Ruach helps us in our weakness. Do you feel weak? You know what the scripture says? When we are weak, guess what? That's right. He's strong. For we don't know how to pray the way we should. But the Spirit himself pleads on our behalf with groanings too deep for words. And the one who searches hearts knows exactly what the Spirit is thinking because his pleadings for God's people accord with God's will. What is that saying? We desperately need the Spirit of God because he knows exactly how to pray for you. And when you're in step with the Spirit and in tune with the Spirit, we could pray. I can't tell you how many times I get that as a rabbi. Rabbi, I don't know what to pray. I pray five minutes. I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. In these verses, we can clearly see why the Ruach is so important to us as believers. The Ruach helps us in our weakness, specifically in our weakness concerning prayer. Often we hear from people who have a lacking prayer life, and the reason that they give, like I said, is that they don't know what to pray about, or they say they don't know how to pray. So the Ruach Hashem, the Spirit of God, knows how to help us to pray. And he knows the mind of God since he is God. (laughs) And he helps us to hit the mark in prayer. Do you want to hit the mark in prayer? Or do you just want to aimlessly pray? I have to tell you, sometimes people just aimlessly pray. Does that work? Right? If we were a military, do you want to aimlessly fire the gun? No, especially if he's on your team. You want him to be going in the right direction, hitting the right targets, correct? So it's so is true with prayer. We are to hit the mark in prayer. Um, all this becomes, begins to come together when we are filled with the Ruach. When we set our minds on the Ruach, free from the pestering thoughts of condemnation, and are able to then allow the Ruach to pray through us and to inspire our prayer life by revealing God's heart in our prayer times. I'll tell you right now, that thought right there is foreign to most people. You go into a prayer time and you begin to pray. You don't even say, God, is there anything on your heart that I should be praying? Isn't that a novel idea? God, is there anything on your heart that I should pray for? Wow, wouldn't that be something? That God and you were in sync. Right? Hitting the target in prayer. Not only does he help us to pray, but he gives us wisdom to live our lives. Chokmah. When the spirit of truth comes, it says in Yochanan 16, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but will say only what he hears. We live in a world today that is desperate for truth. You know what? The scripture says the truth shall set you free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, right? The truth of God is supreme. We live amidst so much falsehood, 
Our kids are getting told things in public schools that are so antithetical to the truth of God. And here's the thing about a lie. I don't care how many times you say it. It's never going to be true. It doesn't even matter if it's believed wholeheartedly and sincerely. It doesn't make it true. Truth is powerful. And it says that the Spirit of God leads us into truth. Zechariah 4.6 says, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. How do we get it done? By the power of the Spirit of God. So we don't need to rely on our own intrinsic wisdom. Because there's some pretty smart people in this room. Right? You're a pretty sharp cookie. Everyone in this room is probably educated, been to college. And you know what? Even if you haven't been to college, I'm always uh, delighted to hear people. People are smart. They're readers. They're, they're, you know, they're just smart folks. Why? Because, you know, God's our creator. But our intrinsic wisdom just falls short. Because guess what? You only know what you know. Right? And you might even impress me with what you know, but you only know a small portion of all there is to know. But God knows it all. And when he leads us into truth, we are desperate for him to be close to him. In Jacob chapter 3, which is the book of James. But his name wasn't James, it was Yaakov. Chapter 3, verse 17, it says, But the wisdom from above is first of all pure, then peaceful, kind, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. But as the Tanakh says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no one's heart has imagined all the things that God has prepared for those who love him. It is to us, however, that God has revealed these things. How? Through the Spirit. How does God reveal that? Because guess what? There's some of us who don't know that truth as a, as a, a, a revelation. What I just read, in your heart, it says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no one's heart has imagined all the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But then he says, It is to us that God has revealed these things. But how has he revealed them? By the Ruach. For the Ruach probes all things, even the profoundest depths of God. For who knows the inner workings of a person except the person's own spirit inside him? So too, no one knows the inner workings of God except God's spirit. Why do we need to be in tune with the spirit? Right there. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God, so that we might understand, understand the things God has freely given us. 
Do you understand the love of God? If you don't, guess what? You find it out through the Spirit. Where you're lacking in the wisdom of God being revelation in your heart is why you need to connect to the Ruach. These are the things we are talking about when we avoid the manner of speaking that human wisdom would dictate. Instead, use a manner of speaking taught by the Spirit, by which we explain things of the Spirit to people who have the Spirit. You hear it? You can only talk things of the Spirit to people who have the Spirit because the people who don't have the Spirit are operating in the wisdom of the world, and guess what? Those, Those two do not jive. That's why, P.S., we're misunderstood by unbelievers in the world. And they think we're crazy, like we're, we live, you know, in an arcane reality. But we simply live by the truth of God. For who has known the mind of Adonai? Who will counsel him? But we have the mind of Messiah. So how invaluable is the Ruach HaKodesh in our lives? As the scriptures tell us, must be sure to keep in step with him, right? It says keep in step with the spirit. I want to ask you a question. How in step with the spirit are you? Or if you even gave that a second thought, or if you even considered it in the past month or year, that you need to keep in step with the Ruach. The answer probably is, yeah, I don't really think about that. So know what we end up doing? We try to serve God in the flesh. And you can't. And we try to get peace and joy in the flesh, and you can't. And we try to then, we move towards a grace mentality into a works mentality. We move into that legalistic righteousness thing because we start trying to do it on our own. And then we try to be good on our own. And we try to be justified on our own. And guess what? That doesn't work because we fall short and then we get condemned because of it. And condemnation rules in our life and we are under it instead of blessed. Instead of joy, we have tsaurus. We were not created as believers to live without God's spirit. It's better that I go, mishpucha, so I could send you the promise, the comforting counselor. Let me go so I could send him to you so you can live a powerful life in me. This brings me to the last point. Guys, you're going to eat, I promise you. There's all sorts of yummy goodness up there. Bagels, you could carb yourself into oblivion. (laughs) Which I only do on Shabbat, by the way. Shabbat is carb day. (laughs) Matter of fact, by Shabbat, I don't want to see a chicken breast or a vegetable. Because <laughs> that's all I've eaten, pretty much. You know what I'm saying? So, ah. so today, I brought a bagel. <laughs> but I did bring my own bagel. Um, so how invaluable. You know, and it brings me to the last point. 
Why the Ruach is so important to us as believers and why we need him so desperately. I hope this is what I want you to get from today. You need him desperately. Not, you know, take him or leave him. Not, ah, if I get around to him. Not, oh, maybe I'll try him out. You and I need the Ruach Hashem to be an integral part of our life as believers. It does not work without him. It will frustrate you. It will discourage you without him. He is the engine. So we know that Shavuot is a harvest festival, right? And obviously, it is no coincidence that at Shavuot in the upper room in Yerushalayim 2,000 years ago, the great harvest of souls began, right? Awesome. Praise God, right? Baruch Hashem. But the Ruach plays such an integral part in the Shavuot harvest because the Ruach empowers us to be witnesses for Messiah. So stay with me a little bit here. So here we are now. Let's go to Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they gathered together, that is the Talmudim, they asked him, Yeshua, remember, between Pesach and Shavuot is how long? Seven weeks, 50 days. So Messiah, after his resurrection, hung out for 40 days with his Talmudim, giving them great revelations and awesome downloads. Right? He was giving them nuggets of teaching and so on and so forth. And they're asking him, they said, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Because guess what? We as Jewish people want to see the kingdom restored to Israel. We want to see Tikkun Olam. We want to see God restore Israel because here to know this, Israel is going to be chief of all nations. Not because I say so, because God says so. It is the city of the great king. There is only one city on planet earth that is identified as the city of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that city is Jerusalem. It's not New York City. It's not Chicago, it's not Paris, it's not Rome. It is Jerusalem. So that's a valid question for these Jewish men. They want to know, God, we're living under Roman oppression. Is it going to happen? And he said to them, it's not your place to know the times or the seasons which the Father has placed under his own control. In other words, he said, it's not your concern. But I want you concerned with this one thing. And he says, but, don't concern yourself with that, but you will receive power when the Ruach HaKodesh has come upon you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and through all Judah and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I want to tell you right now, America from Jerusalem is the end of the earth. Right? California, end of the earth. And if you go the other direction, China, end of the earth. Ends of the earth. That's what he wanted from them. But it could only happen if they were witnesses by the power of God. So, this is such an important passage of scripture, understand for many reasons. First, the Talmudim were looking for the kingdom to be restored to Israel, which is noble 
and natural, but Yeshua was wanting them to be focused on the harvest. That's why this takes place at Shavuot time. Hear what I'm saying? He wanted them focused on the harvest. Selah. Secondly, even though they had the experience to walk and minister, hear this, along with the Mashiach for three and a half years, no one in the history of believing in him had, has that privilege, right? When we're up or down, <laughs> depending on what happens, right? When the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven, right? And there's Takun Olam on earth. And you're sitting next to Rav Shaul at the great banquet. Even the great Rav Shaul did not have the privilege of walking with the Mashiach when he walked this earth. And even though they had that awesome experience of ministering alongside and serving with the Messiah for three and a half years, they were still in need of the empowerment of the Ruach of God. Something that they obviously did not have. Third, it is important to understand because hear, hear me, harvest and empowerment. Third is the important, it's important to understand what a witness is. In Acts, the term witness has a twofold meaning. First, it relates to the person who has observed an act or an event. Next, it refers to the person who presents a testimony by which he defends and promotes a cause. I often wonder, this is not the rabbi, P.S., I just want to preface this. This is not the rabbi getting on to you in any way, shape, or form. This is an honest to goodness musing of my heart. I often wonder that Perhaps even we who are self-described as Ruach-empowered Messianic Jews are in need of a fresh infilling of the Ruach. Why do I say this? Is It seems to me that when it comes to being a witness for Messiah, many are often intimidated and unmotivated to fill this commission of Messiah. Now, this was the case for the Talmudim as well, but it was their condition prior to the infilling of the Ruach. They too were intimidated and unmotivated to share about Yeshua. That's why they were hiding in the upper room. With that said... But, but, but it, wasn't, it wasn't them afterwards, right? Matter of fact, after they are empowered with the Ruach, they cannot shut up, right? They have to tell. Matter of fact, when they stand before the Sanhedrin, he says, I can't not tell you about him. 
and they get thrown in jail, and even when they get released from jail, they're back out doing it again. Because they cannot be contained. With that said, maybe we should ask God and I for a fresh infilling that will enable us and impassion us to be his witness, first to our people Israel, and then to the nations. I think there's a, a lack in our spirituality if we have no desire for the lost. I mean, hear this. That we could, God came from heaven. Right? That's a long way, by the way. It's a long trip. To seek and to save that which was lost. We walk by lost people all day. And their lost condition doesn't really seem to bother us. Friends, I don't want you guilted up to bother. Not at all. Not that's what I'm saying. But I want us to consider, why doesn't it bother us? Would it bother God? Would it bother the Messiah if he was here? That the person working next to me or across the road from me is lost. And I have an opportunity to show him the way. I think the, uh, the answer is obvious. But the key and the difference with the Talmudim is before and after the Ruach. We should all appreciate and embrace the Great Commission call to reach our communities, our surrounding communities, and the ends of the earth. However, if we are true to the Acts chapter 1, verse 8 text, it is speaking about literal Jerusalem and Israel and the Jewish people before the nations. Do you hear me? The scripture, the Besorah, is to the Yehudi first. I didn't make that up. It's to the Jew first, says Romans 1.16. And then also to the nations. It is to the Jewish person first. It says, For I am not ashamed of the Besorah of Messiah, for it is the power of God to the salvation of everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Listen to this quote by Dr. Stern. He says, The body of Messiah has for the most part, hear this, has for the most part not taken seriously Yeshua's injunction to communicate the Besorah first to the Jewish people. In one sense, the Besorah has already reached the ends of the earth. The Bible, or at least parts of it, have been translated into some 2,000 languages. Yet this does not excuse what has been a failure to reach the Jewish people with the Besorah. It doesn't excuse that. Our Jewish people have a right to know. Whether they embrace it or not, right? They have a right to know that their Messiah has come. You can be a living testimony to that. This is what I say to church folks when I speak to Gentile believers. So you know. The body or the withholding the gospel to Jewish people is, in my opinion, and I know I'm not alone, is the highest form of anti-Semitism. 
And unfortunately, this has been thrust upon the body of Messiah world in modern times through erroneous theologies such as dual covenant theology, which says that Jewish people have a separate covenant with God, and so they do not need to be reached because God has made a way for them. True, God has made a way for Jewish people, and he is called Yeshua HaMashiach. That is the way. And to withhold the Besorah to a Jewish person is the highest form of anti-Semitism known to mankind. God had prepared our people for the express. They were the most ripe people on the planet. But after 2,000 years of bad theology, our people barely recognize Yeshua is Jewish. They think he was the first Catholic family, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Are you kidding me? So far removed from his Jewish roots. It's an ingenious plan of, of Satan, but it's a travesty. The Greek word protos in this passage, translated first, should be understood as first in priority, not merely first, hear this, sequentially. Because people will say, well, they were first sequentially. So they went to the Jew first, and now they went to the Jew, now they go to everyone else. No, it's the Greek word is meant as first in priority. And that means that priority never changes. It's the same priority today as it was 2,000 years ago, to the Yehudi first in priority. So we understand that. And by understanding this passage, we will better appreciate why the Bible teaches that the Jewish people still have a key role to play in God's unfolding plan for all humanity. You know, Yeshua looked out of a Jewish Jerusalem and said, you will not see me again until you cry out, Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. The coming of the Messiah, his return, is not going to happen until Jewish people cry out. So what does that mean? You and I, Ruach-filled, called to be witnesses, need to get busy. Right? Need to get busy. The harvest, you know what? We said this often. Believe it with all our heart. But, you know, as we've been going out regularly, it has come to life to me that the, har- the, the fields are white unto harvest. I was talking to a, a gentleman today, uh, this past Thursday. His name was Joe. Joe and his lady friend, me and Miles, were out. Joe and his lady friend were just buzzing by downtown port right in front of the, the little clam shack they got there. Um, Buzzing by with their dogs, two beautiful dogs, by the way, walking their dogs. He said, hey, you got a couple of minutes to answer a questionnaire? And Joe said, sure, why not? And as we started to engage this guy, this guy did not want to leave. We're talking to Joe, and we're telling Joe, you know, Yussel, we're telling Yussel about the things of God and the ways of God and how God loves them. We went through the good news of God and that, Joe, you can't save yourself, Joe. 
We're tainted by sin. God's in a dilemma. He loves people, but he can't dwell with sin. So God solved this dilemma by sending his son, the Messiah, to pay the penalty for our sin. And Joe, you can know this, and Joe was so eager. He would have stayed with us another hour, Joe. But of course, he was distracted by his, his, his lady friend and tugged away. The fields are white. People eager to listen to the good news. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. We have a great need to be his witnesses to our own people first and then to the world. So I'm concluding. I'm sorry, Adeline, we're going to blame you for my elongated speech today. I'm concluding. I have actually two lines of dialogue left, and that's the cue for the ladies to go and prepare your lunch. As we enter into Shavuot, we're going to have lunch together, we're going to schmooze, we're going to have a service later, but as we enter into Shavuot, let us earnestly pursue more of the Ruach. For as we can see, We need his help in every aspect of our lives. We were designed to be ruach-filled and empowered folks. And with his help, friends, we're going to have the life, the joy, the peace, and the power of God to change the world. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Now I'm just stalling so they can get your lunch, uh, they can get behind the tables, okay? <laughs> My goodness. God is awesome, isn't he? You know, when we sing unto God, there are really enough adjectives to describe how great and powerful and mighty he is. He is so far beyond what men could utter, Right? in praise, so worthy. And, you know, would we expect less of God, right, that he would go, he would leave us, and just allow us to flounder here on earth, trying to share our faith? No. He gives us the power of the Ruach HaKodesh to live and abide with us, to help us, to give us wisdom and peace and life and joy and everything we need. Adonai said to Moshe, if you want to know why Jewish people are blessed, in my humble opinion, I believe this is why Jewish people are blessed. Despite, See, persecution comes from without. It's not from God. But intrinsically, Jewish people are blessed. And if you want to know why they're blessed, because for thousands of years, this blessing has been spoken over them. Adonai said to Moshe, speak to Aharon and his sons and tell them, this is how you are to bless the people of Israel. You are to say to them, Shalom. May Adonai bless you and keep you. May Adonai make his face to shine on you 
and show you his favor. May Adonai lift up his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thanks for listening. Bless you. Um, Please, please, please stay for lunch upstairs uh, on the mezzanine, and they're looking like they're eager to receive you. So visitors first. If you're a visitor, go to the front of the line.